Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, We're getting ready to wrap up this five-week-long series. It's been so fun. I know. I was really excited about this month's theme, and it, it... It totally blew my expectations out of the water. So many movies that we hadn't seen before, and there was the perfect amount of camp, the perfect amount of cheese, the perfect amount of gore. It was just, it was a great month. I have had the absolute best time. I've gotten to see a ton of movies I've never seen before, and I think we're definitely going out on a high note. This is a classic. Oh, absolutely. This is a big name. Well, I can't wait to get to it. Yeah, me neither. I've been so excited all week to talk about it. All right. Well, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it because, oh yeah, the theater moves around, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And like we mentioned up top, currently we are in our last film of a five-week series of movies we call Grinders, where we look at some of the best exploitation and grindhouse films of the 1970s. And today we are in for another Wes Craven classic. Yeah, he you can tell this is, he was peaking. This is when he was really at his prime. He was really in there doing the thing. We should have just called this Cravens. <laughs> Cravens. <laughs> He's done enough. We could probably do a month of Cravens after this. Yeah. Oh, let's do. <laughs> We've covered a lot already, though. But we still got to get to this one, and it's a good one. And of course, before we jump in, now is the time to warn you that if we are about to spoil everything, if you guys want to watch this movie, we highly encourage you to. We ended up watching it on Shudder, but otherwise, if you don't want to watch it, that's cool too. I'm not here to judge you. That's not my job. Just come hang out either way, because this is the place to hang out, and we're just going to get into spoilers. That's the way it is. And of course, if it's too much for you, we're going to break it down anyway, so you're not missing a thing. No, not at all. We're going to take the gore and make it funny. Well, of course, before we get to the nitty gritty of it all, let's talk about the wiki. So The Hills Have Eyes is a 1977 American horror exploitation film written, directed, and edited by Wes Craven and produced by Peter Locke. The film stars Susan Lanier, Michael Berryman, and Dee Wallace. Wes Craven desired to make a non-horror film following his directorial debut with Last House on the Left in 1972 because he saw the horror genre as constraining. However, he couldn't find producers interested in financing a project that didn't feature bloody violence, including Craven's friend, producer Peter Locke, who was interested in financing a horror exploitation film. 
Craven agreed to do the project due to his monetary issues, but added that he, quote, wanted something more sophisticated than Last House on the Left and didn't want to feel uncomfortable again about making a statement about human depravity, end quote. Searching for a story to film, Craven began looking up, quote-unquote, terrible things at a New York public (laughs) library. And while going through the library's forensic department, Craven learned of the legend of Sonny Bean. Bean was said to be the head of a 45-member clan in Scotland in the 16th century that murdered and cannibalized over a thousand people in the span of 25 years. What interested Craven from the legend was how, after Bean's clan was finally captured and arrested, they were tortured, quartered, burned, and hanged. Craven saw this treatment of the Bean clan by supposedly civilized people as paralleling the clan's own savagery, showcasing the brutality moral good people could be capable of, especially when it comes to their own survival. And in case you were wondering, the legend of Sonny Bean's clan is indeed just that, a legend, and lacks sufficient evidence to be deemed true by historians. Nevertheless, the myth has passed into local folklore and has become part of the Edinburgh Tourism District. Other influences on the film include John Ford's The Grapes of Wrath in 1940 and one of Craven's favorite horror films, Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. In fact, Robert Burns, the production designer of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, also served as the production designer for The Hills Have Eyes. He reused a bunch of the props from Chainsaw to decorate the cannibal clan's lair, including animal hides and bones. The beloved horror movie fan favorite Michael Berryman was quickly cast for the role of Pluto and would become the iconic face of the film. Michael, who has 26 different birth defects, including hypohydrotic ectodermodysplasia, a rare condition leaving him with no sweat glands, hair, fingernails, or teeth, said he was elated to be cast in a horror film due to his love of The Mummy's Curse in 1944 and other black-and-white universal classic monster films. The character of Ruby called for a specific skill set and needed to be played by an actress who was a fast runner. Therefore, all the actresses who auditioned for the part were actually required to race each other. (laughs) Janice Blythe ultimately won the part partially because she outran all the other auditioning actresses. And this, I thought, was just the coolest thing. Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he was offered a part in the film, but rejected it so that he could move to Maine and focus on his literary career. Oh, wow. He later came to regret not appearing in the film. But who knew Gunnar Hansen wanted a literary career? Yeah, no kidding. Apparently, he was very well educated. He majored in English and mathematics as an undergraduate at the University of Texas at Austin and then went to graduate school for Scandinavian studies and English. He also taught college as an adjunct instructor. Can you imagine Having freaking Gunnar Hansen (laughs) as a college instructor. That's crazy. That would be badass. Yeah, it would. But it would also be crazy. (laughs) 
Well, principal photography for The Hills Have Eyes, originally titled Blood Relations, The Sun Wars. Oh, wow. (laughs) Sounds very sci-fi. It does. Uh, It began in October of 1976. The film was shot in the Mojave Desert using 16-millimeter film on cameras that were borrowed from a California pornographic filmmaker. The film cost between $350,000 and $700,000, around three times the budget of The Last House on the Left. The film was initially given an X rating by the MPAA due to its graphic violence. Due to this material was removed from Fred's death scene, the sequence where Mars and Pluto attack the trailer, and the last confrontation with Papa Jupiter. It would finally premiere on July 22, 1977 in Tucson, Arizona, eventually earning $25 million and was a greater box office success than The Last House on the Left. The film's producer, Pete Locke, characterized The Hills as neither a huge hit nor a box office bomb, but was pleased with the amount of money it generated. This would ensure Craven a sequel, The Hills Have Eyes Part Two, which was released in 1985. The unrelated Craven project Mine Ripper in 1995 was originally going to be a third The Hills Have Eyes movie, but it was rewritten so that it never directly refers to The Hills Have Eyes or Part 2, although Mine Ripper still has the alternative title The Hills Have Eyes 3. I feel like I need to watch that. I I feel like I need to watch that, too. And The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to watch both of them. But I'm trying to think, like, how can it be a third but not be a third? Well, that is the question. Let's talk about the Halloween series, shall we? Very true. Okay. (laughs) All right. I get it. I was like, how can you be and not be? All right. That makes no sense. And now we know. Yes. (laughs) Alexander Aja directed a remake of The Hills Have Eyes in 2006, which Craven produced. And in 2007, Craven and his son, Jonathan, wrote the sequel to the remake, The Hills Have Eyes 2. This film would also inspire the famed friendly rivalry between Wes Craven and Evil Dead director Sam Raimi. While watching The Hills Have Eyes, Raimi noticed a ripped promotional poster for Steven Spielberg's Jaws in a scene of the film, which is the same poster my aunt had on her refrigerator in her kitchen. I don't think Sam Raimi saw that one, though. (laughs) (laughs) But Raimi, quote, took it to mean that Wes Craven was saying Jaws was just pop horror. What I have here is real horror, end quote. This inspired Raimi to include a ripped The Hills Have Eyes poster in his film The Evil Dead as a humorous way of telling Craven, quote, no, this is the real horror, pal, end quote. Craven reacted to this by having Nancy Thompson fall asleep while watching The Evil Dead in his film A Nightmare on Elm Street. Raimi then responded to that by including Freddy Krueger's glove in a scene from Evil Dead 2. So later, Craven would have characters in his film Scream choose to watch a VHS of Craven's own Halloween instead of Raimi's Evil Dead. Then, in a first season episode of Raimi's television show Ash vs. the Evil Dead, Krueger's glove can be glimpsed. While in a second season episode shows a poster for The Hills Have Eyes outside a movie theater. That's amazing. I love that 
all of that was done from a ripped poster. I know. It, it well and it also makes you want to go back and watch all these other movies to pick out all those other things. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just love easter eggs like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, the cult status of this film certainly spilled over to television as well, and even the X-Files paid homage to The Hills Have Eyes with their 1996 episode Home. An episode so controversial, it was the first X-Files episode to have a viewer discretion warning for graphic content and the only one to have carried a TVMA rating upon broadcast. Fox considered it so graphic, they refused to repeat the episode in syndication, the only time in the history of the series that happened. It wouldn't be until FX ran an all-day marathon of the most popular X-File episodes that Home would be shown again as it was the number one episode chosen by viewers. I really want to see that episode. It's amazing. I want to go watch it right now. Uh, yeah, I remember I could not wait for it to come out on yeah. VHS because it's, that's the only way you could see it mm-hmm. because they wouldn't show it again. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a great episode. I've, I've always heard that from a lot of people who are fans of the show that it's just always that kind of like, I guess, insider info about that kind of band episode, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, everybody always talks about how it genuinely is like a good episode, though, regardless of the fact that it, it got banned and everything. So yeah, I, I really want to watch it. Well, before we can get to that one, we still got to cover this one. So why don't you give the folks a synopsis? All right, let's get into it. So this one is short and sweet. It says, on the way to California, a family has the misfortune to have their car break down in an area closed to the public and inhabited by violent savages ready to attack. And I feel like that just is the bare minimum. It, it really is. But quite frankly, I mean, that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to complicate it. But there is really a lot more that goes on <laughs> than just that. But, but that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's best just to have that information going into it. I think it really is. I was, I'm just going to say it up front. I was so absolutely pleasantly surprised by this movie. Not that I thought it was going to be bad in any way. Just, you know, we had already talked about Last House on the Left. And that is just a hard movie to get to. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. It's well done. Lots of social commentary there. And and we said in the episode where we talked about, that's the kind of movie I'll watch once. I'm good. I recommend other people see it, but I'm not going to sit around and watch it for funsies. Yeah. This movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> fun, 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 fun. Yeah. Till daddy takes my T-bird away. <laughs> so you have or haven't seen the 2006 version? Have not. Okay. So I've seen that one, but I hadn't seen this one. So I kind of generally was like aware of the storyline, but this was like its own adventure. I felt like it is an, oh, what a glorious adventure it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also been years since I've seen the other one. So I really had kind of, I mean, I generally knew the story, but going into this one, like I said, it just, it was a wild ride. Well, I'd definitely be interested in seeing it and I'm sure we'll cover it at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely I think you should watch it for sure because it is a diff it's just kind of just like Last House on the Left. I feel like uh, they're they are each other, but they're also two completely different beasts and it's it's very interesting. I, I 
I smell what you're cooking. Yeah. I, I, I'm picking up what you're setting down. I put a lot of spices in there, so I'm glad you're smelling them. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get this damn movie started. So we're starting out with, uh, I guess we're looking at the horizon of the hills mm-hmm. that have eyes. And I suppose it's dusk. C- could be dawn. It's just kind of dark, but light enough that you can see the silhouette of these here hills. Uh, and the closed caption says spooky music. But is it music? Because it's mostly just plink, plunk, plink, plink. <laughs> Plinky, plink. Woo-wee, woo-wee. Plink, plink, plunk, plunk. It's like some experimental. I'm telling you, man, we struggled with music in the 70s. Yeah. In our horror. Um, I, I think we've come a long way. But we had a rough patch. We had a rough patch. Yeah, I know I made a note about um, a song happening in one scene later on in the movie. Because I was just like, I don't, how did this occur? (laughs) Who okayed this to be a thing? Well, you know, it's all part of that 70s horror charm. And I am here for it. And uh, we are at Fred's Oasis, and it's kind of, uh, it's a gas station, but a junk farm. It's a home away from home. It's just like, you know, my guess is it's the only one around for miles, uh, which ain't good for travelers, because we are in the middle of the Nevada desert. In today's terms, he would probably be like a super host on Airbnb. All right. I don't know what that means. (laughs) That's okay. Don't worry about it. Others will. (laughs) The others will get it. (laughs) The others. Now we're on Lost. Oh, don't get me started on that. Oh, no. All right. Well, here we see Fred himself, and he is locking up a pig in a pen in the back of his truck, and he's a bitching and a moaning about someone, and it's making him drink. And something tells me he does that a lot. Yeah. Fred is quite the character. I adore him. Uh, he's also talking about getting out and running from someone. Uh, but we don't know yet who the hell he's talking about. But next we see Ruby, and she don't make no noise when she walks. <laughs> She's quiet. She's she got is them quiet. Quiet tippy toes. <laughs> she startles Fred, and he just spins around and goes, well, You don't make no noise when you walk. <laughs> she just goes, Uh huh. <laughs> Just real quick. Uh-huh. So Ruby is played by Janice Blythe, the one who got the role because she can run like the wind, apparently. And she also played Lynette, Buck's underage girlfriend, in last week's film, Eaten Alive. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I, I would have never, ever known that if no. I didn't look up what the hell else has this girl been in. Yeah. You wouldn't have known that till you knew that. And now I do, and (laughs) life moves forward. And that checks out. Well, Ruby wants to trade whiskey and radios, and she wants food. But she's really there because she's trying to get out, just like Fred is. Who is everyone running from? Well, Fred explains that he's on to her and knows that she's trying to get out, but her people have just gone too far, and the Air Force and the Sheriff (laughs) have been out there sniffing around, and he ain't putting up with it. So basically what's going on here is Ruby's clan has been stealing from travelers 
that, you know, come through this part of the desert and then trading the goods that they steal from the travelers, supposedly after killing them and eating them, uh, and trading those to Fred for food. But now no one's driving through here anymore. And so they have no choice. They've started robbing the Air Force base that's near them. And it's brought on some heat. Uh, but Ruby wants out of that damn life and wants Fred to get her out of there. But Fred just laughs at her and tells her, You'll never make it in the real world, kid. Why, you don't know a knife and a fork from your five fingers. And you stink like a horse. Only imagine I sound like an old geezer and not some dame from a 1940s RKO picture. <laughs> Plus, Jupiter would cut her to pieces if she knew she was going over the hill. So the plot thickens. Uh-oh. Jupiter has arrived. <laughs> Jupiter ascending. <laughs> well, some folks have stopped to get gas, and they have two giant German shepherds that jump up and bark real loud, and it scared the shit out of me. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's also about 50 freaking people traveling in this RV. So hold tight while I introduce you to the Carter family. So there's Big Bob Carter, the patriarch of the family and retired police detective. There's the ditzy but doting mother, Ethel Carter, who wants directions to the abandoned silver mine because it's her and Bob's silver 25th wedding anniversary. There's a lady with a baby and another lady without a baby. The lady with a baby is Bob and Ethel's eldest daughter, Lynn, and her baby, Katie. And Lynn is played by none other than Dee Wallace. If that name rings a bell, it should. Although Hills was her first horror film, Dee would go on to star in The Howling, E.T., Cujo, Critters, The Frighteners, Rob Zombie's Halloween, The House of the Devil, and Three from Hell, just to name a few. We get it. She hasn't been in anything. (laughs) Okay. Plus, she's been in countless dark-themed television shows, including Supernatural, Grimm, Criminal Minds, and The Whispers. And the list goes on and on. So if she sounds familiar, I can almost guarantee you've seen her in something. Never heard of her. (laughs) So moving on, the lady without a baby is Bob and Ethel's youngest daughter, Brenda. And she tells Fred they're headed to California, L.A., movie stars and fancy cars. And, of course, Brenda is played by Susan Lanier, who was a bit of a movie star in her own right. In fact, she even won the part of Chrissy Snow in the unaired pilot of the classic 1970s sitcom Three's Company, but would be replaced by Suzanne Summers before the series actually aired. We also see Big Bob and Ethel's youngest, Bobby, and he's got a pee. We'll talk more about Bobby And his fine performance in this film later. Uh, And rounding out our band of merry travelers is Doug Wood and his freaking mustache. That thing, I kept staring at it. It's all I could stare at. It's so big. It should have been called The Hills Have a Staff. (laughs) Because that's all I could think about. It was just... I think his face is too small to carry a mustache of that magnitude. Yeah was very daring (laughs) very bold of you sir (laughs) doug is the husband of lynn and father to katie and he's taking the two very good dogs out for their own potty break they're very own they're very own these two beautiful german shepherds are beauty and her beau beast so beauty and the beast and beauty is played by flora 
and the Beast is played by Stryker. Oh. Were they, were they really, like, were they really together? Oh, I don't know. Oh. For you, I will say yes, though. It seems very important, and I hate to deny you. Yes, they were star-crossed lovers. <laughs> I just found each other on a movie set. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It, it's a true Hollywood glamour story, is what it is. Good old Flora and Stryker. I hope Just Lifetime like does a movie about it. Bogey and Bacall. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug is walking these wonderful pups around, just strolling into some rooms and places he hasn't been invited into, as usual, per 1970s horror films. We also should have called this series Unlocked Doors. <laughs> just go wherever the fuck you please. That's what this is called. Uh, but one of the dogs has keyed on someone running around with a bunch of feathers on. That's all I could see was yeah, like feathers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's really all we can see because he's just moving from hiding spot to hiding spot. It's still very creepy. <laughs> it really is. Well, soon Doug can hear Ruby talking to the feathered man. And as he makes his way back outside to get a look, we can see the pig is now missing from the back of the truck. Hmm. Suspicious. Suspicious. I was trying to work pig in there and it wasn't working. Oh, it's all right. Valiant effort. Thank you. <laughs> but the Carters have got to move along, so Paul and the dogs get back in the RV. Fred tells them not to go to the silver mine. There's nothing there anyways. Plus, the Air Force uses this area as a firing range. Don't even think about it. So just go on to Cali get and it. be sure to stay on the main roads. Get it out of your head. You nerds. Nothing to see here. Please move along. <laughs> Drive with your eyes closed. Do not look at the feathered man <laughs> running around the desert. We don't speak of him. Well, the feathered man runs past Ruby and said, let's get out of here. And then Fred's truck blows up. I think the pig did it. Yeah. He, oh, he mm -hmm. looked pretty shifty. He did. I Might didn't... I say suspicious? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Totally works. Thank you. I didn't trust that pig from the get. Oh, I didn't either. He, something wasn't right. I said, this is another kooky craven film. <laughs> and I know I cannot trust anybody. And it starts with him. Well, Fred retreats back inside and sees a bloody handprint on the inside of the door. This troubles him greatly. And he says, Lord, they'll be hell to pay now. So basically, Fred's been marked by Ruby's clan, and it appears that's not a good thing. They don't seem like nice people. <laughs> they don't. They don't make a good first impression. Yeah. Although Ruby's not bad. No. It's just there's got to be a reason that she's trying to avoid them. And then the bloody handprint's like, oh, okay. Obviously. Yeah, that's not like an Avon's calling kind of thing. That's no, no, not no. something that welcomes you into the fold. No. No. Well, our circus family is driving in the middle of nowhere following a blue line on the map, which would be a river. So not a road, and now we're lost. So Brenda's worried about becoming a human french fry. I, I don't know. It comes up again. It's this weird... I don't know. So Lynn grabs the map from her mother, and they discover they have driven into the middle of Nellis Air Force Base and nuclear testing site, which isn't a real thing. Uh, and it's closed off to the public, and they definitely shouldn't be there. 
Well, this sends. How did they even get there, though? Like, if if a place was genuinely close to the public, like, wouldn't there have been signs? Yes, but it's Hollywood movie magic, and it helps move the story forward. So we just ignore it and go along for the ride. (laughs) That's going to happen a lot with this movie. Well, this news sends Big Bob into a tizzy, but he doesn't believe they're even lost until a giant jet plane catches them in a flyby and Big Bob loses control of the car, swerving as we almost hit a cute little bunny rabbit, bringing the car and RV still in tow to a screeching halt, even though we're on a dirt road. That drives me absolutely crazy. When we're on a dirt road and they add the sound of screeching tires. Yeah. To really sell the point that our tires are slipping on this road. Yeah. But it doesn't screech if it's on dirt. So it just, it's just a pet peeve. It's goofy. Moving on. The Carter clan disembarks. Aside from a small cut on Bobby's hand, which just turns out to be ketchup, everyone appears to be okay. Brenda is worried about her finch, who brings their pet bird on vacation. I just think that bird's probably stressed out. I mean, it doesn't seem like they would enjoy riding in a car to foreign locations that they are unfamiliar with. Yeah. I mean, I don't know them personally, and I don't want to speak on their behalf, because that's not who I am, you know? I don't... (laughs) (laughs) I don't speak for the birds, so... But I definitely do think, you know, I don't like traveling. I don't... Like, I don't like getting out of my comfort zone, so... I, I, it's safe to assume they don't either. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I get the dogs. Dogs love to ride in the car. Not our dogs. Not our dogs. And some dogs, yes, they, they get car sick. But lots of dogs enjoy riding in the car. So I, I get taking your dog on vacation. We take our dogs on vacation, mm-hmm. even though they don't like to ride in the car. <laughs> yeah, I wish they did. But if I had a pet bird, I wouldn't bring my bird. But what if it asked you? Like, what if it was a talking bird? And what if it was like, hey, Ma, can I, can I come with? Well, they just repeat what they hear. They're not like, well, having a conversation I'm with sure you. I'm sure you're going to ask that at some point <laughs> to somebody. Or what, or what if like you're walking out and it's like, Mom, I'm going to miss you. That's going to be sad. And then you're going to want to bring it. I mean, I don't want her to bring it everywhere because I don't want the bird to be stressed, like I said. But I just do want to also say that like I also get it, you know. All right, well, I, I'm just saying this does not turn out to be a good trip for the bird. Oh, no. In this case, it's definitely uh, not good. Not good at all. And it just seemed like a poor decision <laughs> not to get Aunt Linda to come and feed the bird while you're gone on vacation. Yeah. Well, Big Bob stops to comment on his wife's navigating skills. And he basically says to the fourth wall, us, the audience... 25 years, I'm a cop in the worst goddamn precinct in Cleveland. People shoot arrows at me and throw dogs off their roofs. I'm even shot at on two separate occasions by my own men. But none of these bastards ever came as close to killing me as my own goddamn wife and her goddamn road maps. (laughs) (laughs) Women can't read maps. Cue the laugh track. Well, she tells him to watch his mouth, and the doctor also wants him to watch his heart, to which Big Bob says the doctor can take his stethoscope and shove it into his little black bag sideways. Also, they're in the middle of the desert in the middle of the day, and he's drinking coffee. Yeah. This seems a poor choice of beverage. (laughs) 
At least let it like cool down a little bit. <laughs> Make it an iced coffee, my dude. <laughs> well, the family is stranded due to a broken axle, and we see they are being watched by someone else in Ruby's clan. And he has spotted Brenda and thinks she's a pretty girl. This was another creepy part because, again, we haven't seen, aside from Ruby, we have ne- haven't seen anyone's face or anything. Yeah. So when I say we can tell someone's watching them, it's like you're seeing from their point of view and then you can hear them. They have uh, these radios that they have stolen from the Air Force. And so they're able to communicate with each other using these radios. And so you can hear them communicating, talking about mm-hmm. they've basically found their next targets so it's real creepy when you can hear them you know especially when this guy's just pretty lady yeah it's it's it's, it's, gets you good and creeped out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well big bob has decided to hike back to fred's for some help and he takes the fancy pistol his squad gave him after retirement and leaves another handgun with the rest of the group but before he heads off Ethel reminds him to be wary of rattlesnakes that can grow up to 20 feet and kill you in as little as eight minutes. Or is that eight feet and 20 minutes? Needless to say, she's very fixated on these rattlesnakes throughout the movie. Well, Lynn is sent in to get Doug's jacket and finds a huge tarantula on it. But instead of saying, hey... Uh, there's a spider the size of a fucking Buick on your jacket so you can get it your damn self. She just knocks it off and smushes it with her foot. Yeah. I mean, this I this is a large spider. Mm-hmm. It's not one you just smush with your foot. Number one, it would probably reach up, grab your foot, and throw you across the room. <laughs> but number two, the squish that that would make just sends me <laughs> into a spiraling panic. It's yeah. just horrifying. My favorite part is like you can hear her like stomp it and then she walks out and then I think it's Brenda is like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, nothing. And I was like, like she's not going to notice the giant <laughs> smashed bug you just left on the... Because she doesn't clean it up. No. She just stomps it and walks out. Yeah, it's going to leave a spot like the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. Nothing. Pay attention to nothing. You see, you see nothing in there. Well, interesting enough, this scene was not part of the original script. It was added to the film after some of the crew discovered the spider on the side of the road, uh, and the tarantula was not harmed during the filming of the sequence. Thank goodness, nobody stomped it. Well, realizing they can't get a signal on the CB radio due to the hills around them blocking the signal. Doug decides to hike north to an Air Force installation he can see on the map to try for some help. But before Bob and Doug head out on their separate paths, Mom wants to say a prayer to watch over them and keep them safe. Of course, this is all witnessed by another one of this Jupiter's clan, who we learn is named Pluto. So we're seeing kind of a planet theme here, who reports that things have improved since two of the men are leaving The rest should be easy pickings. So our very good girl, Beauty, is already sensing people out in the hills and starts whining. So Bobby puts her up in the RV. Ethel, Lynn, and Brenda get dinner ready, but it's getting cold out now and Brenda's worried about turning into a frozen french fry. (laughs) 
I'm not sure what this fascination with becoming a French fry is. I just love that that's our go-to use of measurement. I mean, it's, I don't know how this became a judge of the temperature, <laughs> but she's, she's sticking firm with it. It is her analogy, damn it. And no one's going to take it away from her. I wonder if she's ever like an, a lukewarm French fry or like a room temp, cozy, comfortable French fry. And could there be a real world instance where you could be a curly French fry? Ooh, probably. Something to think about. <laughs> Something to consider. Someone call Brenda. She'll know. Well, we're sitting down for a lovely dinner. But Beauty won't quit whining, and they're starting to wonder what she's so upset about. So Mom thinks it might be those 20-foot rattlesnakes, and Bobby warns her about what Freud would say about her obsession with snakes. Well, Brenda wonders why Beast isn't carrying on like Beauty, and Bobby says it's because Beast doesn't bark until right before he kills. He likes to catch his victims unaware. To which Mom says, Hey, you know you're right. Remember that poodle he killed in Miami? And everyone just smiles in remembrance. <laughs> like, is this family a little crazy? Is poodle killing okay? Should we not talk about the fact that we know that this dog has viciously killed another dog? I feel like it's not proper dinner talk, <laughs> at the very least. Well, Brenda goes and lets Beauty out of the trailer, and she takes off into the hills. Uh, Beauty, not Brenda. Uh, and now Bobby <laughs> has to take off after her. But someone from Ruby's clan has gotten their eye on her already. But Bobby is starting to get tired of chasing Beauty, and he stops and is like, so lackluster. He's like, Beauty, hey girl. <laughs> He sounds like a drag queen who just got to the club about 10 minutes before he's about to perform. He has like his stilettos in one hand and he's had a hell of a day. He's just, hey girl, you would not believe the traffic on Northwest Expressway. I hate these eight o'clock shows. It's too fucking early. There ain't no one at the club at eight o'clock. Who am I performing for? Susan, the barback bouncer? But Beauty is still running and eventually runs into some legs. Uh-oh. And they ain't Bobby's. They're terror legs. <laughs> legs of terror. The hills have eyes for. The hills have run legs of terror. <laughs> the hills have legs. <laughs> well, off screen, we hear Beauty bark and yelp. And then go quiet. Bobby goes to track her down and finds a very convincing disemboweled dead beauty. And this is when I get mad. Because I hate it when animals die in stories. I think it's a cheap ploy to get at your audience. But this one gets a pass. After all, at its core, this is a tale of revenge. Bum, bum, bum. So the carcass of beauty was an actual dog carcass that the filmmakers purchased. Craven has refused to explain how exactly the filmmakers obtained the carcass, although it's been reported that producer Pete Locke bought him from the county sheriff's department. Why? 
why would they have one to sell? Yeah, I need the origin story. <laughs> I don't want to know this story and why they were able to buy a dead dog. Yeah. I mean, it's like I don't, but also I do need to know how, why. Why is that an option? We should shut that down. And the fact that it just happened to be a German Shepherd? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, did they have different ones to choose from? Well, I got a beagle. Will that work? No, it's, it's, they would notice no matter how much makeup we put on it. Not a German Shepherd. <laughs> I got this little chihuahua. We could put stilts on it. <laughs> Use my wife's fake rabbit fur coat. Could pass. 20 bucks. Throw in this tarantula we found on the side of the road. Maybe you could put that in your movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that this has now turned into this underground <laughs> business of creepy animals to buy. <laughs> well, then the screen goes crazy. I'm not sure what happens. I even... I've said before, I, I end up having to watch these at least twice <laughs> to make sure I, I get everything that needs to be covered. And even on my second viewing, I kept going back to see if I could tell what happens on the screen. Because something just blurs very fast across the screen. It's just supposed to imply motion because whoever killed Beauty is still there and is now going after Bobby. But it's, it's, there's nothing discernible in it. It's just blur. Uh, and so Bobby runs off to get away from the blurry and he falls. <laughs> and I can't tell you more than that. You don't know if he's dead, hurt, in another dimension. He just falls. Yeah. And this is the, the scene where I made the note about the music. Because whenever he's like running down the hill, the music playing literally sounded like somebody was repeatedly falling on a piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more that blink, 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 blink. <laughs> eerie music <laughs> well we'll talk about more eerie music in a minute well next mom is calling a maypole on the radio a good old maypole and lynn comes in and says mom it's mayday <laughs> it's like kids now trying to explain tiktok to their parents <laughs> it's just they get the terminology wrong it's embarrassing so lynn tries the radio herself but she gets a reply, and it's just a lot of heavy breathing, and I hate it. Oh, same. I th I think they should try a Maypole again. <laughs> it seems like maybe Mayday actually wasn't the yeah, correct one. Maypole gets much safer results. Yes. <laughs> well, Ethel says it sounds like a wild animal, to which Lynn replies, Yeah, well, if animals around here know how to run a radio, we're up shit creek without a paddle. <laughs> to which Ethel says... You know, you never used to use language like that until you moved to New York City. <laughs> and I think the new motto for New York City should be New York City, where everyone learns how to cuss. I like it. I honestly think they'd like it, too. I, I think it's something. It could be big. I think so. Hey, someone in New York, get on that. <laughs> That's how these things work, right? You just let someone know? Yeah. Well, in the meantime, Brenda has taken Beast and the gun and has gone to look for Bobby without telling anyone, just walking off into the desert. Genius plan. Especially when Beast ends up getting away from her. 
She can hear something off in the bushes and looks down at the gun she's carrying and goes, how's this damn thing work anyways? <laughs> this drives me crazy. Man, why did you pick that up? <laughs> I mean, you really don't need to be a gun expert to understand how it works. Now, I get it if maybe it's a, safe, a safety's on, but just to look at it and go, what, do I just bang it on the ground? <laughs> Is there a secret password? <laughs> bang, bang. What makes this go? Where do I put the batteries? Do I need a key? Well, someone does finally come out of the bushes, but it's just Bobby, and he's found Beast. But Bobby is looking pretty shook up and has a nice new scrape on his face. It's not funny. It's just that Bobby changes <laughs> after this incident and he's just never the same again you know bobby goes into the hills one person and he comes out another uh, yeah, just the hills change you <laughs> the hills do Both the hills have eyes and the mtv classic <laughs> <laughs> both do affect you in many many ways agreed well, next we see Big Bob, and he has arrived back at Fred's. Well, Fred tries to take a shot at him, and again, scared the shit out of me. It's like, because you don't even see Fred. It's yeah. just all of a sudden, it's like, bang! And you're like, what the fuck is happening? You don't make no noise. <laughs> you don't make no noise when you shoot guns. Well, Fred disappears before Bob can return fire, but Bob can hear him moving behind the door to the next room, and when he opens it, Fred has hung himself. Well, Bob... I... <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but I was, like, so confused during this part. I was, too. Because I thought that... Because does he open the door? <laughs> Fred... Bob opens the door, and you see Fred's legs just dangling from the ceiling. It's not funny, but no, it is. hear me out, because I... <laughs> Sorry, I thought that <laughs> Fred opened the door and then jumped up and yes. hung himself. Yes, I was like, why did he do? Like, did he want attention? Like, I just didn't. I thought he literally like I thought it was something I just didn't understand that he was like maybe like he was like known for doing that or something. Like, watch out for Fred. He just he's dramatic. Tag, you're it. Try and save me. Oh, that was fun. Try small. I'm going to shoot you and give you CPR. See if I can save you. <laughs> I was just genuinely so confused. But it, it's like such a fast scene that I was just like, okay, I guess it, that's fine. <laughs> well, it, it was confusing to me as well. I mean, it just didn't make sense. Uh, nor to Bob, because he rushes in and says, <laughs> get your stupid neck out of that belt, you jackass. <laughs> and Fred tells him he's trespassing. And Bob asks if he always tries to stop trespassers by hanging himself. <laughs> oh my god, it's the best scene in the whole movie. It's so good. No, it's not. There's a greater scene. There really is. I'm I'm just so excited by this movie. It made me so happy. This is just one of many great scenes. Yeah. This is so good. 
You know, and I like Bob. He's grown on me. He's kind of a racist fuck, but he's grown on me. Uh, but Fred thought it was someone else coming to get him. See, it turns out back in 29, this place was brand spanking new. And Fred and his wife Martha had a beautiful baby girl and another one on the way. But with that second kid, ooh, something went wrong. When he was born, he weighed 20 pounds and was hairy as a monkey. Uh-oh. He was so big, he came out sideways and nearly tore Martha in half. Uh-oh. By the time he was 10, he was bigger than Fred, and animals started showing up dead around the house. Then one day, Fred went into town for supplies, and when he got back, the whole house was up in flames, killing his beautiful daughter. But the devil child wasn't even singed. So Fred took him out to the desert and left him for dead. And that devil kid grew up to be a devil man. He eventually kidnapped a woman and they had babies. And then those babies had babies with other babies. And made themselves just a big old inbred family clan. It was a wild mess. And that's the story of Fred's babies. <laughs> and and that is the clan that is that is out terrorizing in the desert. And just as Fred finishes his story, the devil man, a.k.a. Jupiter, grabs Fred and pulls him through the window, throws him on the ground, and beats the ever-loving shit out of him with a tire iron. Yeah, it seems like he's got a grudge. (laughs) Just a little bit. Well, Big Bob goes chasing after Jupiter and comes across Fred's dead body in the outhouse. Well, back at the RV, Ethel is trying to get Bobby to eat, but he's too upset and won't tell anyone what happened. Well, Lynn tells Bobby about the heavy breathing they heard on the radio, but Ethel just drives deeper into her fantasy world where everything is A-OK and all of this is perfectly fine, (laughs) and that heavy breathing was just static on the radio. Well, next, the group hears something outside, so Bobby goes to investigate and discovers that Beast has gotten off his chain and is now missing. Great. Now I'm stressed. Well, Big Bob is still in chase of Jupiter, but he starts having a heart attack. Ethel tried to warn him. Well, Bob can hear Jupiter taunting him, so he stays in pursuit. He manages to get a couple of shots off, but passes out because heart attack. That's when Jupiter, or Papa Jupe, moves in and grabs Bob. Back at camp, Doug returns, and Bobby is cranky. He keeps trying to tell Doug about beauty, but at first, Doug just wants to tell them all about the amazing stuff he found at the abandoned Air Force base. But back at Jupiter's camp, Ruby is eating dog and wants to come inside. They literally have her chained up outside as punishment for trying to run off with Fred. She doesn't want to eat the dog anymore because she can hear its ghost talking, which of course is actually Beast growling because he has discovered Beauty's remains and is pissed. He is on the prowl. Uh, Beast has rage. (laughs) Beast is on roids and he is angry. It's a beast rage. (laughs) Going to beast mode. Well, back with Papa Jupe and Big Bob, Jupe has shoved something into Bob's mouth. I, I, I even tried to look up what is Jupiter shoving into Big Bob's mouth <laughs> in the hills of ice. I was going to say, what results did that get you? Nothing. Literally nothing came back with that. I mean, I can find people talking about what happens with Bob, but... Nothing specifically saying what is going in his throat. It kind of looked like it was supposed to be a dog's leg. Because it looked hairy, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
But he puts it in his mouth and then he starts hammering it with a rock down his throat. It's not pleasant. Nah. He then proceeds to crucify Bob onto a cactus. Things are not looking good for Big Bob. No. Things have gone downhill. Well, next, Bobby tries to tell Doug about beauty again, but now Doug just wants to get out to the station wagon to have sex with Lynn. So Bobby settles on sulking and listening to solemn music while Ethel, Brenda, and Katie are all settled in in the back of the RV. And we get these bizarre, (laughs) extreme close-ups of each of them. And all of a sudden, you just start laughing. Yeah, because they did this, like, camera zoom in on the baby in the crib. (laughs) Who has the craziest look on her face. Yeah, she's got, like, these wide eyes. And she just looks, like, kind of scared, but also scary. And it was just the most amazing, like, they could have ended it there. And would have been like, I get it. That's art. And I don't, it's something you don't need to understand, but I get it. You also said it reminded you of... SNL skit. Oh, yeah. The Californians. Yes. (laughs) That's exactly what it reminded me of. It was so funny. I I wrote down on my note, I was like, the camera zoom in on the baby in his crib is my favorite scene. That's all. That's all it is. Really? This beats another scene coming up? I mean, probably. Wow. Just because uh, it's a baby with crazy eyes. (laughs) (laughs) What's greater than that? Well, let's see. Let's let's see if we can outdo baby crazy. <laughs> crazy baby eyes. <laughs> crazy baby eyes. Well, out in the desert, we finally see Pluto instead of just hearing his voice on the radio. And this, of course, is our dear Michael Berryman. And he is siphoning gas from the sex wagon. But the occupants are completely oblivious. They are doing the sex. They are having the sexy time. Well, back inside, Bobby thinks he hears beasts and grabs the gun to go after him. But it's just Jupiter's boys playing tricks on old Bobby, making C&C farm animal sounds in the bushes. This is a cow. <laughs> this is a sheep. Bah. <laughs> and this is a wet fart. <laughs> I don't know what the hell animal that last sound was supposed to be, but the captions just said eerie music. (laughs) (laughs) So therefore, from now on, anytime I hear someone fart, I'm just going to say eerie music. (laughs) (laughs) Or perhaps if I have gas, I will just warn people. I'm going to play some eerie music. <laughs> Just walk around the house and be like, don't mind the eerie music. Don't mind the eerie music. <laughs> and maybe actually play some. Like, give yourself a soundtrack for the day. Really dive into it. That could be fun to have a fart playlist. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Hobbies. <laughs> we don't have them, clearly. Well, Bobby thinks an animal farting is just too much, and he heads back to the RV but finds that the door is locked. God damn it. And of course, he doesn't have a key. And inside, we see Pluto has actually made it in and he's stealing food. Well, Bobby thinks he's just locked out. But instead of knocking on the door for either his mother or Brenda, who are clearly still inside the trailer, he makes the decision to disturb Doug and Lynn in the middle of their game of pokey pokey thrusty thrusty. Of course, they're a little put out, but Bobby has a full-on freaking mental breakdown. <laughs> he really, this was his time to shine. Oh, it is his moment. Mm-hmm. 
He's been practicing this for weeks. And apparently got drunk beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> because he starts out, he goes, look, <laughs> something big's going on around here. That's not bad. You heard heavy breathing on the CB. And now Beast is out there barking like he's hurt. <laughs> but Doug just says, oh, Bobby, that's probably just beauty. She sounds like that when she barks. And oh, Doug, poor, innocent, overly mustache Doug. That was the wrong thing to say because Bobby's face. He's triggered. He's upset. I think he's trying to cry. <laughs> it almost looks painful. <laughs> yeah, I literally wrote down Bobby crying when telling about beauty is interesting. Because <laughs> it's like his eyes pop out of his head. But then he also tries to like force a frown. And I mean aggressively force a frown. And I think he actually makes the noise just kind of, I just don't know. It's like genuinely like I don't know what he was like. I didn't know if he was actually trying to pretend cry or was he trying to be sad? Like I just genuinely didn't know what emotion he was trying to express because I was like, there's too much going on. It might have been really, really, really bad gas. A lot of eerie music. Yeah, so much eerie music. Yeah, could be. Well, believe it or not, according to Robert Houston, who played Bobby, the audition process for the film depended a lot on whether or not an actor could cry on cue. I mean, that can't be right, because (laughs) he got the job. When did he cry on cue? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm waiting for that moment, because I don't think he hit it. Yeah, I don't remember that happening. But I only watched it one time. You watched it twice. So if you don't remember it, then I trust your memory more than mine. He still didn't quite get there. Not the second time around. No. Didn't change. Well, Bobby finally tells them that Beauty is not just dead, but she has been killed and slit up the middle. Doug now realizes that things have gotten serious and they head off to the RV to regroup. But Pluto hears them coming and tells Papa Jupe to set off their distraction Cut to outside where we see the cactus Big Bob has been nailed to go up in flames and he starts screaming in agony. This causes Ethel to come running out of the RV, leaving Pluto ample time to sexually assault Brenda, who Doug just yells inside to to watch Katie. Plus, in the extreme close-up scene, we saw Brenda was lying right next to Ethel. So how did Ethel get outside without seeing Pluto attacking Brenda? Good question. I don't understand the logistics here. Yeah. It's not like there are several rooms. It's a trailer. Yeah. It's a small RV that's being... Oh, excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Let me get around you (laughs) so I can get outside and react to the horrible thing going on out there. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Excuse me. Sorry. This is really awfully inconvenient. (laughs) Um, If you could just scoot over just a... Okay. Thank you so much. Sorry. It, could I take... Okay. No, you're going to keep... Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't have asked. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I like your tooth necklace. That's real fancy. <laughs> well, Doug, Lynn, and Ethel arrive at the burning cactus, and Dad is barbecue. 
Doug tries to put him out with a fire extinguisher and then beats the shit out of Bob with a blanket. I mean, aggressively. Yes. I get it. But Jesus, dude, at this point, you're just doing more harm than good. Yeah. You would have been better off just shooting him and putting him out of his misery. Yeah, none of this can feel comfortable at all. I mean, I'd be yelling, this is not helping. This is not helping. (laughs) You're literally making things worse right now. (laughs) Well, next, back at the trailer, we see Mars, another one of Jupiter's sons, has made it in. And after not finding sufficient snacks in the fridge spots Brenda's bird, pops its head off, and drinks the blood from its neck. Dude, what was wrong with the perfectly good milk you were just chugging? Yeah, milk is... I don't understand why... why That's not the same thing as a bird. I mean, I'm Those lactose don't... intolerant too, but bird blood? Yeah. No, thank you. Those are not the same. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, after his bird juice, Mars walks to the back to find Pluto raping Brenda. Mars pulls Pluto off of him and tells him, no, 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 not until you're a man. And Mars then takes his turn as, I guess, a young Pluto throws a freaking tantrum and starts tearing up the RV. We are thankfully spared Brenda's fate for each experience. Well, back with Barbecue Bob, believe it or not, he's still alive, but here comes Ethel, broadcasting from La La Land of Denial, and just starts screaming over and over, that's not my Bob, that's not my Bob. (laughs) That's because he's Crispy Bob now. (laughs) Things have changed. That's not my Bob. My Bob has a birthmark on his lower left butt cheek that looks like Abraham Lincoln. That's not my Bob. (laughs) I do like the smoke that they made come out of his mouth. Out of Bob's mouth. Yeah, Yeah, that was very cool. Nice effect. Mm -hmm. Well, Doug just says that Bob needs some water and the ladies should go back to the RV and get them. Oh, and also whiskey and blankets. He just keeps adding things. (laughs) And a Parcheesi set. (laughs) And my warm socks. Sandwich would be nice, too. I haven't eaten all day. (laughs) Double time, ladies. (laughs) Bob's dying here. Really needs those socks. Then Bobby has decided that it's time he took matters into his own hands and he grabs the gun and takes off, even though Doug tries to stop him. But Bobby's drunk again and (laughs) turns around and says, you're not my father. And I'm going to get those bastards. I am. And who are we to argue? We we don't. After that, we were like, well, God damn it. (laughs) You You go. made a point and we understand it. And we're not going to fight you on it. You go be a big boy, Bobby. (laughs) You run up them hills, dude. And of course, poor Doug is left alone to witness Big Bob's last breath, which is kind of a... It's very long and dramatic. Sweet sounds (laughs) to fall asleep to. Little ASMR for you, if you will. Well, Lynn and Ethel arrive back at the RV, interrupting Pluto and Mars. A struggle ensues as the ladies try to put up a good fight, but both Lynn and Ethel get shot for their efforts, and Mars makes it out with a new gash on his leg and hands the baby, Katie, over to Pluto. Mars drags Brenda outside, sticks the gun in her mouth, and fires. 
The gun is out of bullets, and he tells her he'll be back for her later. Virginia Vincent, the actress that played Ethel, had a very genuine reaction to being shot as there was a mishap with the squib planted under her robe. The small explosion caused her a great deal of pain, and although she was thankfully fine, she was taken to the hospital out of an abundance of caution. That's scary. Very scary. Yeah. Well, Doug has heard the commotion, and so has Bobby, and they both arrive back at the RV at the same time. Bobby manages to get a shot off at Mars, but the shots are only close enough to make Mars jump around like a goofball. So Doug goes inside and finds Lynn dead and cradles her in his arms and asks her not to go away. It's actually a very sad moment. But then he flops her over on her face. I was literally thinking the exact same thing because I was like, oh, this is actually like really genuine. And then, yeah, he basically like just tosses her. I was like, was there not like a more gentle way we could have laid her down? Uh, Seriously, like a little dignity in death, my dude. Shit. (laughs) Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Pounce. Well, he then sees Ethel is still alive, but not doing too well. But luckily, in this moment, we can all see the bird's cage in the background for just a moment as Doug gets a blanket to cover Ethel, and we can see there is still a very much alive bird in the cage. So see, this continuity error proves it was all just movie magic, kids. Yay! The bird is fun! The birdie lives! You can actually hear it chirping. You think someone would have noticed that when they were making the film. It's like, uh, isn't this bird supposed to be dead? Shouldn't we take it out? <laughs> it's the ghost of the bird. <laughs> Maybe there were two birds. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Doug takes off and tells Bobby to see to his mom, to which he goes inside and just goes, oh, God. Like, this is more I, of an inconvenience. I know. I, I, I wrote about that, too. I was like, he just seems so inconvenienced. Like, this again? <laughs> She's so dramatic. Who's going to have to clean this up? <laughs> it's going to be me, and I'm pissed. I just asked for one family trip where I didn't have to clean up your mess. <laughs> Literally five minutes ago, I just got finished cleaning up that fucking tarantula. <laughs> Thank you for leaving that, by the way. You're not my father. (laughs) You clean up the spiders. (laughs) Well, next, Doug goes off to scream at the dark. Why are you doing this? (laughs) Damn you! Give me back my baby! As the camera pulls back and we see Doug surrounded by darkness almost in a spotlight. It's actually a really cool shot that Mm -hmm. just kind of signifies his aloneness and hopelessness against this unseen foe. It kind of like drives home how isolated they are too, like and how they aren't able to get help if, if if they are truly in danger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, meanwhile, Pluto and Mars are on their way back home and try to get Mercury on the radio. So Mercury is Jupiter's third son and is the feathered man we saw briefly at the beginning of the film at Fred's. Fun fact, the part of Mercury is actually played by the film's producer, Peter Locke, who would also go on to produce Brave Little Toaster. Uh, A very different family adventure. Very different. I just thought when I was looking through his filmography, I just thought that was such a broad spectrum of genres. Yeah. 
I loved the brave little toaster. Well, who doesn't love the brave little toaster? But how bizarre that <laughs> the same p- person who produced yeah. that also produced the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> well, Mercury is excited to see that they brought food, of course, referring to the baby. And maybe he'll make a joke for Mama and Papa Jupe like last time and eat the toes. So this is not their first baby. Unfortunately. But Mercury's jubilation over the promised end to his hunger has blinded him to the danger lurking, and he doesn't realize that he's being watched by the beast. And the beast is looking to avenge the death of his lady, Beauty. Remember I told you this was a classic tale of revenge. So Beast comes in like a motherfucking boss and pushes Mercury off the cliff to his death. It's amazing. And then that very good boy picks up Mercury's motherfucking walkie-talkie. And I'm like, holy shit. Yes. Here we go. And I think I even turned to you and I said, what if Beast is the hero of this whole (laughs) damn movie? That will be the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely did. I think I even made, yeah, I even made a note about it as well, just kind of asking myself the same thing. I was like, is Beast the hero? (laughs) Well, Pluto thinks he's heard Mercury fall, but shrugs it off as just some rocks. Meanwhile, back at Papa Jupe's, Papa has returned with Big Bob's body and smacks Ruby around for trying to run off with Grandpa Fred. Papa Jupe had to, quote-unquote, fix Grandpa Fred good for that. Papa Jupe likes to fix people good. Again, it's good to have hobbies. (laughs) Well, they try and call Mercury back in to eat the lovely Thanksgiving dinner they have. I mean, Mercury's got plenty of time. That baby's going to take several hours to cook. But he's not answering the radio. This puts a bummer on dinner plans, and now Jupe finds out that not all the Carters are dead like he asked to be done. So now they're going to have to take care of the rest of them. Well, meanwhile, back at the RV, Doug has returned from his night yelling. He was just letting his emotions free, doing some cathartic yelling. You know, he was having some self-care me time. Yeah, I get it. Scream into the void. Let it happen. Family vacations can be stressful. They really can. You really need to notch out some time for yourself. (laughs) Well, as he's checking up on everyone, yep, mom's still dying and Brenda's catatonic, we see the lights go out, which sends Brenda into another freakout, which is totally warranted. You scream all you want, sweetheart. But they can hear scratching outside and Brenda is convinced that it's the guys again. They've come back for her. And she begs Bobby not to let them take her again. Well, of course, Bobby's got to step up and be the big protector. So he fires two shots through the door. And then we hear a radio go off as the clan is still searching for Mercury. And immediately my heart sinks. Oh, yeah. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) If Bobby just shot Beast, I will turn this movie off so fast. I will turn this movie around. (laughs) We will not go to Dairy Queen. (laughs) So Doug and Bobby go to investigate in a very tense scene where they're having to sneak outside and figure out who's lurking, only to discover that the beast is fine. But we do get a nice jump scare out of it Mm -hmm. when he uh, comes in. 
but now they have a radio to track the clan's movement. So now the tides are turning a little bit. Beast has given the Carters a little bit of a leg up. Well, Paul and Bobby and now Beast overhear on the radio that Mercury is dead and the clan can tell that Beast is responsible due to the tracks that he left. And now they know the clan will be coming for them. Well, back at Papa Jupe's, they're eating Big Bob as a consolation prize and Jupiter has a disturbing but oddly poetic monologue. He says to Bob, you come out here and stick your life in my face. Stick your fingers in my pie. That was a bad mistake. I'm going to watch your goddamn car rust out. I'll see the wind blow your dried up seeds away. I'll eat the heart of your stinking memory. And of course, he's saying this all to Big Bob's decapitated head as he chows down on the rest of him. So during the scene, a leg of lamb stood in for Big Bob's flesh. But believe it or not, at one point, Craven considered having the character Jupiter and his clan actually eat baby Katie, an idea which most of the cast disliked. Eventually, it was Michael Berryman who refused to do the scene, and Craven gave in and allowed Katie to survive, and Big Bob got bumped up to the main course. That's really interesting. Do you think like the movie would be as well liked if it was Katie? I don't think it would have changed. Like if that was the only thing different. Uh, I think like diehard fans of horror, I think would still really enjoy this film. But I think it certainly would have gotten a lot more flack. Yeah. Because of it. I, I think you would have heard of it being banned in a lot more places. And I think a lot of people would have considered that crossing a line. Yeah. Maybe like run into a lot more red tape. Yeah. So Papa Jupe has vowed his revenge and heads out with Pluto to get with the killing. So due to his leg injury, Jupe tells Mars to stay back with the baby and not to let anything happen to her until he says so. Well, next we see the sun finally rise over those damn hills that have eyes. <laughs> and we get some proper 1970s action music as Paul and the Beast are off through the desert to get Paul's baby back. He sees Jupiter and Pluto making their way to the RV and tries to radio Bobby to warn him. Well, back at the RV, Bobby is again trying to radio help, but is still getting no response because those hills that have been blocking the signal this whole freaking time still haven't moved. We see Mom has passed and Brenda is distraught. Bobby is getting frustrated and tells Brenda to be quiet, and she gives him the biggest how-dare-you look, which prompts him to look back and see that his mother is now dead, to which he replies, Oh, no. <laughs> Again, totally inconvenient. It's another, like, great, now I have to clean this up. <laughs> this trip sucks. He's totally upset. But lo and behold, they get an answer on the radio, and it's the Air Force. And we know it's the Air Force because they say, this is the Air Force. What's up? That makes sense. That checks out. What's up? That's that's Air, Fo that's Air Force 101. <laughs> um, I mean, these don't sound like no Air Force lingo to me. Well, you haven't been there. <laughs> My peppy was in the Air Force. Yeah, and I bet he probably said that. 
<laughs> one or two times in your life, I bet he said it. I was going to say he says what's up all the time. Okay. Must be where he got it. <laughs> exactly. Now you know the origin. A little, not a lot of people know. <laughs> they're, they're taught and they're to keep it, keep it on the DL. Yeah. Well, you'd have to be in the Air Force to know. Yeah, exactly. Well, even though these don't really sound like Air Force people, Bobby immediately starts spilling his guts about everything, including the fact that they only have one gun and two bullets left. Yeah, he's basically like, hey, guys, just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, We're the most vulnerable we can be right now. (laughs) And it'd be great if we could actually leave our doors unlocked and if we could open all the windows we're going to put a sign on top that says, hey, come and shoot us now. If that's okay <laughs> and enough for you guys to see, just let us know. Well, they get a response. And of course, the Air Force person tells him until they can get to his location, he's going to have to stand on his head and put his thumb up his ass. Well, of course, this is not the Air Force. And now Jupe's clan knows they ain't got shit to defend themselves. Sometimes Bobby's an idiot. He's such a goober. He didn't think things out. <laughs> think it through, Bob. That's all we're saying. He's not using his noggin. What would Big Bob say? <laughs> Nothing anymore. A lot of smoke. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad, you just blowing smoke up my ass. <laughs> well, back with Doug and the Beast, Doug still can't get through to Bobby, so he sends Beast off to just kill everyone. That's all he says. He's just like, all right, go get him, buddy. He's <laughs> like... Is that a command? Have you trained him? He knows what... All right, go get him. He's good with this. He's going to do exactly what you You've been need. waiting for this. This is your moment. Break out and shine, big guy. In fact, why are you even here, Doug? I mean, it, I feel like the beast has got this and doesn't need to wait for you to tell him when it's okay. Yeah. I mean, he is a poodle killer. <laughs> he's uh, a professional. Yeah. He's like, okay. Been there, done that. All right, Doug. We'll wait for your call. Okay. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll go now. Okay, Doug. See you. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll come back. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Can I bring you back another radio? Remember, <laughs> like I did last time without opposable thumbs, Doug. Oh no, but we'll let you call the shots. Okay, Doug. Thanks. Well, back at the car, Bobby, knowing he's fucked up, decides to take a tire off the car and pulls it out about half a foot from the car and goes to light it on fire in the hope someone will see it and rescue them. It's a foot from the car, which is attached to the RV that is currently your only shelter that you're about to fucking light on fire. Well, Brenda tells him that's not going to work. <laughs> She's like, wait, 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 wait. Something here doesn't check out. I don't know what it is, but... She's like, look, I am not a scientist, but this does not look right. (laughs) To which he says, well, if you got any bright ideas, girl, just sing right out. Just sing them out. And he's in drag queen mode again. (laughs) Well, next we see Papa Jupe and Pluto running a lot. It's a, a lot of running. It's a long scene. It is. It keeps cutting back to them running. And someone forgot to put on Papa Jupe's nose makeup. And so he looks normal. But running. <laughs> well, that's just what happens when he runs. <laughs> Things just close up to make sure like <laughs> dust doesn't get in yeah, there. Yeah. It's uh. his body's way of protecting himself. <laughs> well, eventually they run past the beast and Jupe and Pluto 
gets separated, giving the beast a chance to move in. He chomps the fuck out of Pluto's leg. But Papa Jupe comes running back and takes a shot at Beast, forcing him to retreat with a whimper. Now, keep in mind, the desert locations for the film were extremely rough on the cast and crew. Not only was the rocky terrain difficult to walk, let alone run through, but the temperature would reach up to 120 degrees during the day. And due to Michael Berryman's condition, he was highly susceptible to heat stroke and had to be treated almost daily. But he was a damn trooper and stuck it out through grueling 16-hour workdays. I mean, he's just the best. Yeah, there's no way I could do that. I step out on my porch sometimes and I'm like, nope. (laughs) This has been enough for me. Good day. (laughs) And I'm going to call that quits. Well, next we get a horrible close-up of Pluto's leg injury. Ugh. Oh, my God. It's so bad. I have... uh, Most of the time, gore in movies does not bother me in the least bit. But when it comes to bones and teeth and nails, I can't. I cannot. And, man, the beast got him good right on his ankle. And just the bone is sticking out. It's so bad. Yeah. Oh. It's not a fun time. It gave me the heebies. And I got the jeebies. So I think that they (laughs) did well. Well, Papa Jupe is pissed. And he radios Mars to kill the baby. Of course, Doug overhears this on the radio and takes off to save her. Meanwhile, Mars is making his way inside to get the baby from Ruby, but she's hesitant to give it up. She finally reluctantly hands the tightly wrapped baby over and tells Mars to do it far away because she doesn't want to see it. So Mars takes the baby out to the yard and unwraps it, only to discover it's Fred's pig that disappeared from his truck before it blew up. Not a great gift. But... Wait, they have a pig, but yet they were going to eat a baby? They they had a pig this whole time, but we're all excited about eating this baby, which means they prefer human meat over animal. Yeah, that's not my favorite. That's <laughs> not my jam. I mean, that's, that's scary. Yeah. I, I, it's bad enough because, you know... A lot of people, when they talk about this movie, they they talk about how it's this, you know, story of survival between these two classes of people. We have your your suburban, upper middle class, you know, do-gooder family, and they have their struggles against these people who are trying to attack them. But these people who are trying to attack, this is the life they know. Yeah. This is who they are. This is how they survive, and this is what they do to survive is they hunt they attack people coming through their area and they take their stuff to trade for food and they eat the people Mm -hmm. but so much so that now they prefer the taste of humans over animal Mm -hmm. and so now is it really about just survival or is it something else at this point? Yeah. Because things are about to, ter- to take a turn and the Carters are going to start fighting back. And so now we see our good straight-laced do-gooder family now become these depraved killers. Mm-hmm. But then you have to say, yes, but isn't it in self-defense? So 
you know, everything is subjective. Yeah. But it's just, it was an interesting moment for me when I, you know, of course was like, hey, there's the pig. I wondered where the pig went. And then I went, but hey, wait a minute. This has all been about they're starving. They need food. They're Mm -hmm. doing this to survive. And here they have food available and yet they're still going after these people. So yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Well, next Ruby takes off running with the baby. And here's where Janice Blythe really shines in these super brief shots of her running that last maybe four seconds on screen at the most. Mm -hmm. But yet it was very important that she run faster than anyone else. Well, I can say she looked like she was running very fast. (laughs) She looked like, I mean, I thought Olympics for sure. Yeah. I was just sitting there thinking, me? Never. (laughs) Her? Doing it. Nailing it. Well, eventually she runs into Doug and hands Katie over. She actually saved the baby and returned it to Doug. All more showing how she strives to distance herself from her family. She doesn't want any part of that. Well, meanwhile, Brenda has come up with some traps to set for their would-be attackers. And one of them involves taking their dead mother about 200 yards from the RV and sitting her up in a lawn chair. I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on at this moment. I was like, is this a weekend at Bernie's kind of thing? Because they were like supposed to be crying and upset. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is terrible. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Why are we taking her out here? I thought, it, is she starting to smell? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to get her far away? Is she making eerie music? <laughs> they say that happens sometimes when people die. Everything just gets released. Well, back with the beast, Pluto and Papa Jupe are separated again, and the beast has returned to finish the job he started. Pluto is doing some trash talking, calling them devil dogs, say, I'll kill you, bitch. (laughs) But Pluto (laughs) can't do shit on that bum leg. And when he's distracted by a cute little bunny rabbit, the beast makes his move and rips Pluto's throat out. He goes at it. Good boy. He definitely finishes the job. Well, we finally learn that mom has actually been set out as bait. But Brenda (laughs) is just standing off behind her in a bright red fucking shirt. (laughs) And I'm like, there's no way in hell he couldn't see her. But again, it's more of that horror movie logic. So we just go with it. So Jupe comes up to investigate mom and he can't figure out why the hell she's out here either she's just like what why <laughs> but he kind of pokes at her a little it's like she she did right why is she i don't know what's going on but this is all part of brenda's plan and she signals bobby to start the car this in turn makes the wheels turn which they have attached a wire cable to that ensnares papa jupe and sends him hurtling through the desert toward the rv The only problem with the plan, beside the fact that this wouldn't actually work with a broken axle, but again, movie magic, it's fine, uh, is that the car runs out of gas and stops pulling jupe. Now he's just banged up and a lot closer to the RV and really, really pissed off. (laughs) So Brenda and Bobby retreat inside the RV, which has been rigged with propane tanks. So the siblings crawl out the back window and watch with glee as the RV is blown to smithereens. 
So Bobby makes his way back to the wreckage to verify that Jupe is indeed dead, but Jupe ain't dead, and quickly attacks Bobby. But Brenda comes up behind Jupe and slams a hatchet into his back, mm-hmm. allowing Bobby enough time to get two shots off, killing Papa Jupe. Meanwhile, Mars is still chasing Doug and Ruby. Doug hands the baby back off to Ruby and draws Mars away by throwing a rock at his head. Mars chases Doug to a dead end in the canyon, and he's now trapped between certain death with Mars and one of those 20-foot rattlesnakes. But Ruby swoops in, and Sans' baby insists that Mars take her instead. She finally goads him into chasing her, but Mars can hear Katie crying wherever Ruby left her, and now Doug has to jump into action before Mars can get to Katie. So he gets into a struggle with Mars, who is close to stabbing Doug, but again, Ruby comes to save the day and grabs the only weapon at her disposal, and that's that damn rattlesnake, and she picks it up and forces it to bite Mars giving Doug the upper hand to get the knife and stab Mars probably about 50 times. Yeah. At least we think it's 50. He could still be stabbing him as we speak. Legend says he I still mean, is. We'll never know because the screen turns red and the credits roll. That's literally how the movie ends. Yeah, it was very unexpected. It is about as abrupt an ending as you'll ever see. Yeah. And that's it. The movie's over. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize you had to get up early the next day, but we'll go. It's fine. Uh, all right. Yeah, we'll see our we'll see ourselves out. All right. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Sorry that we overstayed our welcome. I thought the pecan log was a little much, but uh, good time was had by all. <laughs> well, by the way, that was a real, honest to God, rattlesnake. And at first, Janice Blythe refused to pick up the snake. But then producer Peter Locke came in and tried to convince her to pick it up. But she said she would only do it if he did it first. So he quickly bent over, picked it up, and Blythe was true to her word. And she did it too, and they got the shot. I, I, I can't I can't believe they used a real rattlesnake. Yeah, me neither. That's, and but... You could tell 100%. Yeah, it, I was wondering that whenever we were watching it. I was like, that's... It looks very, very real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm sure they got it the same place they bought the dead dog. And the spider. <laughs> and as for that abrupt ending, originally there was additional footage shot after Doug kills Mars, where we see the surviving Carters coming back together with Doug and Ruby. They embrace, and Brenda takes Ruby by the hand, and they all walk away, implying that Ruby does finally escape the hell of her family as well. Even though the majority of them are dead, we don't know what Mama's fate was. So, the footage, however, was never used in the film in favor of a conclusion that was more shocking and bleak. Well, it was shocking. (laughs) It certainly was. (laughs) I really talk about unexpected. It was just like, oh... All right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't say that I really got bleak from it, but it was definitely like, oh, okay. All right. Got it. Done and done. (laughs) All right. And and that was it. That was our experience of watching The Hills Have Eyes. I, I just, 
I adored it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I was really surprised by how much fun you had with it. I, I mean, not that I didn't think that I didn't have any expectations, but I just, I don't know. You, you just really surprised me by how much you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I have just absolutely adored all the films that we covered, even though, you know, I've already talked about how The Last House on the Left is, is one I will probably never voluntarily watch again Mm -hmm. but absolutely being able to appreciate it for for what it was and what it's meant for the horror genre Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I've really enjoyed all of these films even the really crazy campy stuff I I just think because it was back in the 70s it was still kind of when horror was really trying to figure out what it was going to be all about and turns out it's just about anything and everything but it was still really trying to find its footing and seeing how far it could push those boundaries Mm -hmm. and and so even when they turn out just koopy campy crazy fun and it's just as ridiculous as all get out it just still makes it so much fun oh yeah a hundred percent well of course we got some prompts we got to get to and i'm excited to see what you came up with I'm excited to hear yours. All right. Well, what was your popcorn spiller for this one? So I think for me, it was uh, pretty much any time anybody was like on the walkie talkie being creepy. Uh, But especially that initial like breathing one. The heavy breathing? Yeah. Whenever, uh, you know, we're experiencing our first maypole. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But no, whenever she does that first mayday and yeah, all they get back is the heavy breathing it's very unsettling and i think we both were kind of like ew no we don't like that at all so yeah that was kind of the first moment that i was like genuinely like had goosebumps and so yeah not a fan what about for you for me it was when frank shoots at the dad when uh when big bob goes back to frank's place (laughs) just because it was so unexpected you know here's frank and he's like almost sneaking around the property he Mm -hmm. actually follows a weird noise there's like this howling noise and he can't figure out what it is and it it turns out to be wind rushing through a pipe yeah so that's all you're kind of hearing is this yeah the whole time and he's not talking or anything and then he walks in and it's just everything's just real eerie and quiet and then just all of a sudden bang like (laughs) fuck son of a bitch what is happening (laughs) and so it really if I was to ever come up with the definition of a popcorn spiller, that's it right there. Because if I had been holding something, it probably <laughs> would have gone over you and the dogs. <laughs> that would have been amazing, though. And who was your scene stealer, this movie? You know, it, it's it got to be Bobby. Bobby, his performance in this, he just couldn't figure out what Bobby you were going to get. Yeah. You know, and the whole (laughs) three-fourths of this movie, he's just this somber, cranky, teenage, angsty, ridiculousness, (laughs) can't cry on cue. Mm -hmm. He's just a hot mess joy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the perfect way to describe him. (laughs) But really, in my heart of hearts, I want to say my scene stealer was the Beast because he was freaking awesome. Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> but I got to go with Bobby. What about you? Who's your scene stealer? 
Well, initially I had Bobby and kind of for all those same reasons, just because it was genuinely an adventure with him every time. But I also kind of by the end of the movie kind of switched to Brenda just for the simple fact that she screamed literally a good half of the movie. So much. And I was just, I was like, first off, every time you scream, you steal the scene because that's just inevitable. But also kudos to your lungs. And like, how are you not? squeaking at this point because <laughs> it was a lot of screaming so i had to give it to her and her lungs they were the scene stealers <laughs> <laughs> they they were impressive very impressive well what about for your gorgasm what'd you come up with for that oh it was the achilles tendon oh situation. my god that's exactly what i had i mean immediately immediately i i there's not much that makes me have to turn away from mm-hmm. a movie screen if it if it has to do with injuries and suffering of animals i won't watch it yeah and then yes bones cannot oh cannot well i i actually initially almost was going to put down whenever um the bird was eaten because there was like this like spurt of blood whenever Mm -hmm. it happened i was like okay that was good because that was kind of our first like i guess really a kind of blood situation right at that point well we had seen beauty's dead body that's true yeah, that is very true. But that was a flash. It went pretty quick. Mm-hmm. This this lasted a little longer because he rips the head off and yeah. then you watch him drink it. Yeah, and we kind of watch it occur. So I, I initially had that just for the simple fact of like that little spurt of blood. And I was like, okay, that's gory. That's that's interesting. But yeah, when this scene happened, I was like, oh, nope, it goes to that. I hate it. And it's that's that's it. They really went all in on that scene. They were... It was it was gory. It was it, it did what it needed to do in that scene, and it it gave me the creeps. Yeah, I I'm really curious how much worse some of this stuff was, though. Yeah, you know, because in the wiki it had talked about how this movie had originally gotten an X rating, mm-hmm. and so Craven did just a ton of cuts to it to get it down and passable for an R rating. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm curious what exactly he cut out. Yeah. That yeah. got it to pass. Apparently bloody birds are fine. That <laughs> They're like, yeah, that, that's passable. That's passable. Oh, it's just a bird. So who ended up being your memorable mortality? Oh, that's got to be Mercury's death. And, he, and, you know, we don't see anything. You don't see the actual fall. You just hear him scream. But it's because it's the moment when I realized... Beast was going to become a badass motherfucking action hero. Yeah. And it and this was a whole nother movie for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> and that's when it really, really got fun. Yeah. I kind of had a similar response. Well, I mean, in the, in the same, for the same reason, because I ended up choosing Pluto, but, but because beast was able to kind of finish the job, mm-hmm. like he had been kind of struggling and having this, this, basically fight with this this family of monsters this whole time and so for him to be able to finish the job off with Pluto I was like yes I think I even kind of like said it out loud I was like yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and plus you know that's the moment you realize he's still alive because you get that little worried moment when you know Jupiter comes back the first time and shoots at him. Yes, very true. And and he whimpers as he runs off. But if you listen closely, there's a really nice ricochet sound that they put in there. So it implies that it either hit a rock near him 
and it was just enough that he was like, ooh, fuck, that's close enough. I'm going to come back another time. Yeah. Or maybe like hit his collar or something and bounced off. But mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice touch that they added to just kind of subtly tell you, he's all right. Mm-hmm. He, you know, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it was a, it's a great moment. That was a good one too. So then I guess that leaves us with the big question is if we're going to keep it in the vault or leave it in the dead zone. Vault for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. In fact, I believe I even mentioned to you last night. I really think this has snuck into my top 10 of favorite horror movies. Yeah, which really blew my mind. And, and it's not to say anything about the movie. It's just, it, it's one of those things that I just never would have thought that you would have enjoyed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I think that's because I'd seen the remake already and I just knew that one. Uh-huh. Um, but this one, like I said, really is a different beast. So I, I, I get it. I get why you enjoy it. But yeah, you definitely did. You were like, I, I think, I think this one might be a top 10. <laughs> yeah. You know, you and I have had conversations about that, about how it's interesting how that list, at least for us, kind of changes mm-hmm. throughout the years mm-hmm. because your tastes change and, and something that you might've enjoyed about something you know, five years ago, maybe doesn't appeal to you as much as something else, or maybe, maybe you've watched new things. So we know that's for us kind of always this kind of cyclical thing. Yeah. That kind of things move out, other things move in. But I, I think also this got a little bit of an injection because of the fact I was so apprehensive going into this one, because this is literally Craven's follow up movie to last house on the left mm-hmm. and the way that i felt after that movie it's just it's so heavy yeah and just not an enjoyable experience as in like a fun and entertaining movie mm-hmm. it's it's very much a downer of a film and so knowing that you know i knew that this movie also featured a sexual assault and so I think I was just very apprehensive as, you know, it's like, oh, we just, do we have to do this again? Mm-hmm. And so when this one had a totally different tone and it still had humor like The Last House, but Last House, the humor just still always felt so weird because everything else was so intense. Yes. Yeah. But here it starts out light and funny and has good funny moments and just stays funny and awesome throughout the whole things because yes, there is an assault, but at least it's not a focus. In mm-hmm. fact, if I didn't know that that's what happened, I probably wouldn't have realized it. I mm-hmm. thought I would have probably thought they were just holding her captive back there in my naivete, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's really subtly implied that that's what happened. So I think that took a lot of pressure off me. And so that immediately, that relief being lifted off me that I don't have to worry that this horrible, depressing thing is coming, that it just, it made it that much more enjoyable to me. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I think whenever we go into a movie knowing, I guess, kind of stigma that's going to come with it or the, you know, kind of lore that's coming with it and everything like that, it's it's tough to go into it fully carefree you know it's always going to be mm-hmm. back in the back of your mind like this is going to be a point of discussion like how are we going to talk about this or what's the best way to approach this uh so yeah whenever it's not the main focus 
of the movie, it does it does make it a little bit easier to enjoy the movie. Obviously, you're just able to relax a little bit and you're able to enjoy it. You're able to enjoy like the the like you said the jokes the other subtle nuances and stuff like that there's so much more without having that heavy weight and kind of that cloud looming over you waiting for that scene to occur yeah absolutely and it was just nice to be able to just sit back and breathe and enjoy it and have fun so what about you vault or dead zone oh i agreed with you yeah i i think a hundred percent i it's it was really fun i definitely understand why it's a classic it's so bizarre because it kind of feels like right after Last House, it was like they still wanted to ride that high. And so it was like I could tell that they carried over some things from it. Obviously, some of the social commentaries and the fears of like being isolated and stuff like that. Like that theme co- comes through in both of those movies. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that I think he realized and maybe even and this isn't a, a, a downing on the character on his character at all but maybe even matured as a filmmaker and realized oh I don't have to do all that to make a film scary and impactful I can do it in a different way um, and not make those sexual assault scenes the main focus and so it's kind of like he took that movie and made it funnier and made it I don't know just kind of went in the opposite direction like the opposite of the opposite end of the spectrum like the safer version I guess of the Mm -hmm. movie for lack of better words so it was just it was really interesting coming fresh off the original last house on the left um going into it and obviously like I said I had only seen the remake but I mean all in all I I just really enjoyed it I I loved the the characters and the craziness of it the crazy music the the eerie music the spooky music (laughs) all of it was just it was great Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 15 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching The Haunting. And if you're looking for its trailer, don't worry, we got you. It's linked down in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for letting me borrow your pen. I I really needed to get that form in the mail. I appreciate it. Did you remember to give it back? Oh, my bad. Well, now this is awkward. And remember, if you're looking for The Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. So we also see Wee Bob. Wee Bob? What? <laughs> <laughs> What? Does it say Weebop? <laughs> W-E-E. 
we also see Wee Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and Ethel's youngest. What's a Wee Bob? I think it's supposed to say Big Bob, but how could I possibly? Doesn't even match up on a QWERTY keyboard. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm having a bend over my stomach. Hurts. Oh. <laughs> I love how you said it so confidently. You're like, <laughs> wee bob, wee bob. I also like that it was supposed to be Big Bob. And <laughs> no, we. he's we. Gone the other direction. It's Bob's illegitimate child he doesn't talk about. It's what he calls his penis. This is my wee bob. <laughs> Ethel, gonna have to have you tend to wee bob tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Ethel. Oh, God. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.